Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, sponsored by Buzz and Sounds Recording Studio. My name's Matthew Turner. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm joined by my three co-hosts, Aaron Fletcher, Martin Birrell, Anthony Fitzpatrick. How are you doing, boys? All good. All good. It's nearly Christmas time. Can't wait. Not doing bad. Um, you always ask us this question, everyone, obviously, how we're doing, but we, we never ask you how, how you're doing. And after the shithousery that we had from the refs we had to deal with on Sunday and then 24 hours later you're getting knocked out of our fantasy league by that last second safety in the Browns-Ravens game how are you doing you know we're here if you need us I'm just gonna go and cry in a corner while you guys talk but yeah that safety was absolutely devastating I had the worst week I've ever had in fantasy playing a guy sub 500 and I'm the top scorer in the league and none of my guys got any points, but I was still winning going in. I needed the Ravens to get less than two points on defense in the game, which had a 2% chance of happening. And with two seconds left on the clock, they've got one point and I'm still winning. All the Browns have to do is not concede a point to the Ravens. So no interceptions, no fumbles, no fucking safeties. We want to how that turned out. So I haven't watched that game. I'm not going to watch that game. This might be the best game of the year. I'm not watching it. I don't care. It's going to make me angry. Moving on, because I'm moving on from this quickly. Um, we're going to go through some news. We're going to review the Packers at the Lions. And then we're going to go into the head coach GM news, some of which is broken in the last half an hour, uh, recording as we are on Tuesday evening in the UK. So first of all, uh, the big game in-game news was the injury to Matthew Stafford. He... It has an injury in his ribs. He's been x-rayed. That came back negative for breaks. Uh, per ESPN, the Lions are not overly optimistic that he'll be available to play against the Titans on Sunday, but he hasn't been ruled out yet, and they're going to make a decision later on in the week. Jeff Akuda has had successful surgery, and he vows to be back next season. He's also graduated from college, which is positive for him. Uh, in other news, we have Marvin Jones say he knew he had the catch and he heard that some of the other referees on the field discuss the fact that they thought it was a catch during the game. So that's slightly frustrating. Uh, J. Ron Kirst took to Twitter to say refs really need to be held accountable for the shitty things they do. And if that isn't going to get fine, I don't know what is. Um, the Lions, once again, after the game, are one game out of the fourth pick in the draft per tankathon. But in order to get there, they might have to lose all three and hope some of the four and nine teams win two games in order to jump ahead of them because the Lions' strength of schedule is superior to some of them. Uh, how are we feeling a lot, a lot, boys? Stafford and the comments about refs and, and what have you, it's not the best, is it? Well, they're interlinked, aren't they? If, uh, if that catch is given, Stafford doesn't get injured, but of course, the check cleared this week, so uh, the bad luck all piles up on us once again. Yeah, um, I mean, going about Matt, Matt Stafford, and obviously this is only going to unfortunately raise um, the hopes of some of the haters out there of Matthew Stafford, um, because if he's genuinely injured and that's it, we're looking at a, uh, 
we're now looking at that our season's over, then you know we probably won't see him for the rest of the year, and you know it, it's gonna maybe finishing another season and going into the off season injured isn't gonna look too great to any new GM or head coach. But at the same time, you know he's a warrior. You look at some of the comments that come out after. Stafford's a warrior. Everyone, a lot of uh, pro athletes, commentators, whatnot analysts just they came out and praised how tough he is which we already know and we've seen the the comments by Marvin Jones I think it went on a little bit deeper than that even he turned around and said look I'm not going to say anymore because I'll get in trouble J. Ron Kirst yes he's going to get in trouble but unfortunately you know the I don't we'll get into this a little bit more as we review the game but unfortunately I don't want to put that too much on the refs but you know there were a couple of bad calls. I tell you what, if if this ends up being the last snap he ever plays for us, I think this decision's going to get even more painful. And I just pray to God that that isn't the last we've seen of him in a Lions uniform. I'm not ready for that just yet. And how are you feeling on that, Martin? I can't see it being the end of uh, the here in Detroit, personally. And... Um, I would draft a quarterback um, first in the next in the next draft, but I would I would definitely keep Stafford at least for next year to work alongside him, so that we can. What's the point of having a franchise quarterback for all that time to then basically restart again without using his experience at the end of his time with you? I think, and he's you know you look at some of the quarterbacks knocking around the NFL. He's far from the end of his career as well, so. You know, I, I I don't have this. I don't have to take this view that we need to move him on um, because I don't think that um, you know he counts considerably next year anyway. So it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I do think that his injury potentially. I was just saying with Amp before we came on might actually depress his trade value. If, if potential trade partners look at him and think, actually, he's getting a bit more injured as it goes, and yes, he's elite, but how long can we expect him to be in the field? I think it might approach a point where, even if we want to move him on, he's worth more to us than he is a, a late second-round pick or an early third-round pick. You might as well just keep him at that point. I don't think people... The, the rumour is that, you know, if we're going to trade him, we might be able to get a first, and I just don't see it if he's going to be missing all these games. Even if they're injuries which aren't going to reoccur, I think people are going to want someone younger or someone more reliable. There's about a dozen more positions that are more vital to this team at the minute that need addressing anyhow before them. And like Martin says, he's a franchise QB. You, it's silly to let him go at this point when you've got, you know, so many other positions to address and so little draft capital this year. Yeah, so here's one for you. Jalen Hurts was taken in the middle of the second last year, and I've heard that the second round for quarterbacks isn't quite as strong this year. But theoretically, if you get a do-over of last year's draft this year and Hurts falls to you in the second round, are you drafting him? I think so. Yeah, definitely. He's a guy who's not quite ready to, well... He did very well at the weekend, but I think he's someone you can sit for a year, possibly two, and get the successful transition period. We need to be looking at a transitional QB. Don't risk the franchise by just getting rid of your franchise guy and sticking a rookie in, especially when we've got so many other holes there. So if someone of Jalen Hurts' caliber is available, then absolutely take him take him in the second. I totally agree. 
Um, no, not not particularly. I mean, yeah, I I see where you're coming from, but you know, Matt's Matt Stafford's cap hit last year was what thirty million. There was there was a big hit on our cap last year. If uh, uh, sorry for this year, sorry, um, his cap hit on us is is thirty odd million. So I just I wouldn't be going in messing about with the quarterback, especially considering next year as well. Stafford's cap hit is twenty million dollars. I know that this year that obviously that's considerably better than thirty million. Um, but you know I wouldn't be going around messing around too much. Yes, I would maybe this year start to look at it, but last year last draft no, it wouldn't. It it, it wouldn't be even it wouldn't be my peripheral vision. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to the game then. So Packers at the Lions, inactives for the game. Lions are missing cornerback Jeff Okuda, obviously now on IR. Uh, Kenny Golladay, Terrell Crosby, David Blau, Jonathan Williams, CJ Moore and Frank Heron. Packers and actives with Simon Stepanek, Jay Sternberger, Jordan Love, Kadar Holman, Jonathan Garvin and Malik Taylor. Moving on to the game, we all know how it went. 31-24 in favour of Green Bay. In a game where the Lions, let's say, maintained their pride, uh, didn't get humiliated, never really looked like they were going to take the game either. Uh, Rodgers, 26-33, 290 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Stafford's line before he got injured, 24-34, 244 yards and a touchdown, no interceptions. One of the positive things that the Lions did was restrict Green Bay on the ground. Aaron Jones, who destroyed us in week two, only had 69 yards on 15 carries. However, one of the keys to the game that we identified before it, the Detroit rushing attack and needing to establish that to win, was completely shut down and abandoned early on. Only 51 yards on 15 carries, one of which was six yards for Stafford. So you take that away and it looks even worse. Uh, Green Bay... In the receiving game, only two people with a reasonable amount of yards. Adams, seven receptions on 10 targets, 115 yards and a touchdown. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, six receptions on six targets, 85 yards and a touchdown. Everyone else was held under 40 yards, although Tonyan did come up with some big catches, five for five, in an elite and efficient performance, passing the ball by the Green Bay Packers. Detroit, on the other hand, lots of drops, especially from Marvin Jones and TJ Hawkinson. Amandola was the leading receiver, six receptions on seven targets for 66 yards. Jones was second, four on eight targets. And Hawkinson, I mentioned as well, six on 11 targets. And Stafford had an elite game passing the ball, according to PFF. He really did suffer with drops in this game. Uh, on the defense... Uh, nothing really jumps off the stat sheet particularly much apart from four sacks for Green Bay versus none for Detroit and only one quarterback kit, which really isn't good enough when you're coming up against the MVP favourite. Uh, in the return game, uh, Agnew had a big return late on to give Detroit a little bit of hope, which was really good. Uh, otherwise, Prater hit his one field goal and three extra points and Crosby hit his one field goal and four extra points. Um, Nothing really stands out for me about this game, apart from potentially uh, time of possession, which was clearly in favour of the Packers. Um, they had two long drives in the third quarter, which practically took up the whole thing. I think we had three plays 
in the third quarter. How do you guys feel the game went, Ant? Um, I think you're exactly spot on there. When you look at the game cap overall, we only actually lost one quarter this time. The other three we drew, but the, the crucial one was that third quarter. They just came out and they ate so much clock down there that it just... When, when they're on there for so long, obviously it doesn't do any good for the defence being out there, but it also restricts our ability to be able to try and implement our own game as well. I said on the Cat podcast on Friday that um, what the Packers try and do is they try and take your run game away from you, usually by getting a big lead on you, but this time they just took the time away from us and they made us throw it a bit more and we weren't allowed to establish that run game, which I think was, was the critical thing in the end. Obviously, the the defence wasn't good to start with. There are a lot of individual examples of really bad play out there, although towards the end, they did start to step up a bit more. But it was just one of those. They, they were the better team at the end of the day, and you can you can just see that extra bit of quality there, their guys, some of the catches, especially some of the touchdown ones, Valdez Scantling's touchdown catch was just an unbelievable grab there. Um, I know there was some interference from the referees, which we'll talk about later, which, which didn't do us any favours, certainly. I think they had a big influence on this game, and I don't like to go on to refereeing issues, but they, they hurt us big time, so... But yeah, it was that third quarter that was the pivotal thing for us. Those two long drives, just they killed the game, really, as far as we go. What about you, Aaron? How are you feeling about the game? Um, I'm going to start by giving a quote from Sheila Ford. Um, I'm not going to give the whole thing. I'm just going to kind of uh, say a little bit... Um, Sorry, probably about halfway through. As we were leaving the Bears stadium after last week's win, we heard thunderous applause and laughter flowing out of the Lions locker room, something we've not heard for a long time. And even after a hard-fought loss against the Packers yesterday, it was evident that the team played with heart and never gave up. That was in a memo sent to, that's been well publicised throughout today from a lot of the... Uh, a lot of Detroit press that she sent uh, Sheila sent out to staff within the Lions, and I can't help but absolutely one hundred percent agree. They were down, but never out at any point. Um, the you know even even when we were we ended up uh, giving up what fourteen points in a row. You know how easy have we seen that 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 they score a touchdown, they get another touchdown and it starts to spiral out of control. But, you know, they scored their um, second touchdown of the half and we replied immediately with a touchdown after that. So I, I can't really say say a lot. The the thing that killed us probably the most in the second, uh, in the second half was, you know, there was only... Green Bay had the ball four times, we had the ball three times, and only one of those drives was there a punt from either team. And at the uh, one of those was a was an end of game. So we'll say the six six uh, six possessions. They had the ball three times, we had the ball three times. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal for them. Punt, touchdown, field goal. Again, like I say, we've seen that spiral into. Once that second touchdown goes in, we've seen that spiral into 
another three and out or another four, five and out by the Lions within a minute, a minute and a half, then the other team get the ball back and say they pick up the ball for three, four minutes, drive down our field, get a score, and then it's just rinse and repeat until maybe the final drive of the game. We didn't see that. I thought the defence played quite quite well throughout the game. It was never we never lit them up, but we never um let them light us up either, I don't think. We never, uh, same with the offense, I don't think we ever lit them up, but I don't think they ever particularly lit us up. The one problem we had, which is something we've had all season, is just when they start marching down the field, we simply see, we, we, we are in a lot of positions where we just cannot stop them. Those third down, and it, it winds me up just how many times we give up a third and long. On the opposition for the opposition, at anything more than eight yards, I will sit there, and I'm sure that Anthony and and Matt will vouch for me when I say this. I'll pretty, I'll, I can sit there most times on a third and long and just say they've got it now. Um, they'll make this. If it was a third and three, I would be so confident. But on a third and eight, I'm just not. Um, and I think you, you know there, there were just some, some some little mistakes that carried on. I think that that hit us a little bit, and uh, and kind of got us and uh, and didn't help us get over the line. But far better performance than some some a lot of the ones we've seen so far this year. Yeah, it does feel like if they start at the twenty five and proceed down to R forty five, that you know they're getting in the red zone and coming away with points. I don't think I can't remember us stopping a team inside like between say our 38 yard line in midfield i just don't think it happens ever but you know no matter how did you feel during the game martin did you watch it yeah yeah i mean for me there are a few things i mean i wasn't on last week so since um daryl bevel's first game I, I haven't been on but what i would say is i i think he's doing a reasonable job i i, I wouldn't want to see him like this in the long term don't get me wrong I wouldn't, but he's doing a reasonably good job for me. You know, the team, the team want to play for him. See after the, the Bears win, how much the, the players were behind him. There's certainly a smile on their face. I mean, for me, we've, as much as it hurts to say this, we played an elite team on Sunday. You know, we played a top five team, easy. Um, you know, and I, I was probably guilty of writing them off before the season started. Um, because of some of the noises that were coming out um, of Green Bay. But, you know, that was a good effort for me on Sunday. And, and we've had the last couple of weeks of the Patricia era, I thought we weren't getting a good effort, but I felt Sunday we were. Um, I think that, you know, we, <laughs> the defence for me is garbage. I, I, you know, as much as we try and jazz it up, it, it's a very poor defence that, that we've got. However, I felt that we maximised what we could get out of it on Sunday. I thought that it was a well-coached game. What I am feeling at the moment is when we go into halftime that the, the, the coach now is able to change some things and react to what we're seeing. And I think we saw that in the third quarter. Um, offensively, I think we, we looked okay. I think we looked pretty good. Um, Stafford had a great game. Andre Swift coming back was was a real bonus, and and you could feel that in the running game instantly. Um, but I, I agree with with Aaron in terms of the third and longs, far too many of them. Even at, at sometimes you, you're in third and twenty, 
as we've been a few times this season, and I've had no confidence that we're going to make a shot on that. Um, and and that is for me been the Achilles heel all year. I think only the last few games of the Patricia era did I feel that the effort was waning. Before that, I don't feel we could have called the players out on their effort all, all year long. I just feel that defence hasn't been good enough. And, you know, we felt that going into the season, but I think it's been highlighted. Um, you know, and there, there are some, there is a rebuild job needed there. Um, Jelani Tavai, I wouldn't be bothered if he never played for us again. I, I think it's, I, you know, he was getting a lot of my anger on, on Sunday. I thought, it, you know, even for him, he had a poor game on Sunday. Um, it's, and then, you, you know, you have a look at some of Bob Quinn's draft picks. You know, we've got a third round, first round, second round, all struggling. Um, so, you know, but anyway, I don't want to dwell on that so much um, as to say that there, there were some, some good highlights. Again. I wasn't too disappointed. I thought... I didn't expect to win, even throughout the game. I never thought there was a point where I thought we can win from this point. I didn't ever really get that. Whereas against the Bears the week before, I did feel we were always in with, with a chance. Didn't feel we were ultimately going to turn Green Bay over at any point during the game. Um, one thing I will, I know I'm jumping around a bit here, but one thing I would say is that um, Braden Coombs, you know, again, showed why he needs to stay on the staff for next season. I think, you know, the the onside kick idea I know it didn't come off you know questions around that I'm sure I'm sure Ant's got a bit of a bug there about that particular decision but you know again the imagination was there even if we couldn't quite pull it off for whatever reason it was but I liked it I liked that we were going for it um, you know at that point and, and it was less conservative than it had been and we complained about previously so you know I, I think this season will play out the way it plays out, but I think we're going to see the effort and the, you know, and, and the and the boys enjoying the football for the last few weeks of the season. And I think, you know, I'm looking forward to that. I'm not looking, I'm not fearing games anymore. I'm looking forward to seeing them play again. And yeah, let, let's see what what happens. Things are exciting from this point on. I think you're looking forward to Derek Henry next week. <laughs> yeah, well, less less so less so about that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. you know, you want to see the best players, don't you? And, and, you know, he's certainly up there with them. So let's see. It's a challenge for us. So let's see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A couple of things I'm going to go through from PFF that I kind of just want to highlight that I've kind of seen with my eye, but I just maybe inform some of the chat. And then I might go on to a bit of chat about the refs and maybe a, a key takeaway from maybe where the game was lost for the Lions later on. So, Unless anyone has anything else they want to go for before I start with that. All right. So um, on offense, Matthew Stafford and Taylor Decker were second and third in the offensive ratings in the entire game, including the Packers. So they both posted elite scores. Uh, Stafford was actually significantly higher than Rodgers per PFF, which I think reflected how hard the defense were playing the quarterback um, so, you know, Rodgers might have had a better game statistically, but it's because he had a much easier defense to throw on in terms of the coverage that was being thrown at him. Um, our third highest was actually Chase Daniel, reflecting that for the seven passes that he made, he was very good, actually. So if it is him under center, you know, he's proven he can win games in Chicago. So 
fingers crossed for that. One thing that jumps off the stat sheet as well is Matt Nelson. So he had an okay game uh, per the ranking, but he was our highest graded run blocker with a 90.6 grade. And coming in as a, a right tackle who'd never played the position before, and it's his first start, that's, that's a cracking go. It's a shame that very few of the others had a good game on the run blocking, considering how few snaps we had actually running the ball in the first place. But that was really good. Um, in terms of the receiving game, I, maybe I was a bit unfair on, uh, on Marvin Jones, who actually has an OK drop rate. But TJ Hawkinson had a 31.8 rating for drops. So, you know, for all of us saying feed hockey, drop the ball, for want of a, a better phrase. Um, looking at the defence... Obviously, we know it wasn't the best game in the world. A few players actually did end up playing well, according to this. So Daryl Roberts had our highest grade. He did have a very impressive uh, pass breakup in there. Mike Ford was third, and he also had a very impressive pass breakup in the end zone um, late on in the game. Uh, Mike Ford and Jamie Collins had good coverage grades, but pretty much everyone else was trash. And The other thing, though, one thing that we've been harping about all year is the tackling has been really poor. And one thing that stood out of this game for me was ignoring Armani Oruwarie completely missing. Um, uh, who was it? It was... I can't remember for the life of me. Um, not about this, Scantling. Who scored the first touchdown? Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams. Yeah, so completely missed him for that. But apart from that, the tackling was almost elite by everyone. They didn't let anyone get past them. So Mike Ford had a 29.4 rating and Deshaun Hand had a 28 rating. But everyone else was good, very good, or elite as per the stats. And that really bears out for me. The running game didn't get any traction. And when the ball was caught, we were taking people down behind the line or where they were. It was just that we were standing off so far that they were just able to push down the field. And that's why the drives were so long. But it was almost by design and we actually executed very well. Um, Green Bay on offense. David Bakhtiari was the top player, 91.2. He was fantastic. Uh, the other players that had a really good game, not surprised really, but Valdez Scantling. Rogers came in in third. Um, and then Elton Jenkins, the centre, and Robert Tonya in the tight end. Uh, but overall, obviously, I had a great game offensively. Defensively, the stats don't look that great for Green Bay. Only a few players actually had a good game, one of which was the uh, safety Vernon Scott. Uh, that's all I have from PFF, really, there. But just a, a few things, including the tackling. And for all of the chat about fundamentals in the Matt Patricia rear and them being absolutely shocking at them, it felt like we had a similar game plan to before, maybe with a few more blitzes put in there, but actually the fundamentals were far better. Yeah, I mean, you say that, but then you look at the percentage of passes they're completing on us. It was, what, 85% of their passes when our guys were targeted, they're completing. We got a couple of breakups in there, but for the most part, they're just moving it down the field too easy on us. There's not in, there's no playmakers in there getting up and really causing disruption to drives as we're going along. So one week when the defense excel on something, they're lacking on another area and then the roles might just reverse. You never get a complete performance out of them at the same time, which is ultimately the biggest problem we've got. Yeah. They, they can't, they can't be consistent over a game in all facets, you know, the running game we kept, up, but the passing game, they didn't need it. They killed us on the passing. So, yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just one of those. It's, it's very frustrating, really. I think 
the thing we've got to be looking at most, you know, when we go to this preseason now is we need to get some speed in that defense and we need to get some guys. Because I think this, there are some serviceable guys in there who we can keep, who can contribute, but, you know, we really need. And I think now we're talking about this, we missed Everson Griffin this weekend, I think. We talked about how we got zero sacks on Green Bay. That offensive line, as we know, is really good. And to lose Everson Griffin, who averages over a sack a game against Green Bay, I think was huge in the aspect that this is just that was unfortunate that happened in last minute. So, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, that's fair. I mean, so we've got to mention the refs. I know people been going around it or not, and I know perhaps Aaron doesn't want to put too much on that and, and it's a bit more angry about it. I'm maybe somewhere in the middle, but I'm going to try and um, and remember all of the potentially contentious calls that we had, because I don't actually have a list of them, but there was uh, the Stafford hit, which I know people have been complaining about uh, where he got injured. There was the Marvin Jones catch, which is probably the most contentious one. There was the onside kick and was it inbounds or was it not? There was the phantom holding call and there was um, the lack of holding calls when Green Bay were on offense. I think that's it. Has anyone else got anything that they recall during the game? That that's about it. But as I put afterwards, a lot of Packers fans are going, yeah, but we got loads of penalties more. But it's the severity of what has been missed. The phantom holding they've shown it actually was. It was just Fox did really bad coverage of it. It was Oruarie who was to blame for that, and that was unfortunate because that drive lasted another seven minutes after that penalty, and we could have had him off with a punt there. But I think starting off the big one, the, the Marvin Jones catch, it's just unreal. Every single person. Fans at home, the pundits on the television, the analysts, everyone called that a catch. And you can blatantly see his trailing foot, the market leaves on the ground as he's caught it. And that's vital for several things. One, it puts us at the one-yard line and gives us a chance to go over quick because we ended up wasting about another three minutes after that, which was part of the whole clock management thing. We simply ran out of time. But not only that, Stafford gets injured on that drive after that. He gets folded up like a deck chair, which I don't know how that wasn't punished. But that's got huge repercussions for the franchise now. Not only did it stop us getting back in that game, but it it meant that Stafford wasn't in there. And I've got no confidence in Chase Daniel to do anything in this team. And they know it. The Packers knew it. He's not Matthew Stafford. He's not even close. And it's just, it, it boggles the mind you can quite clearly see what it is, and they're the only guys in the world who can't. The holding penalties on the Rodgers drive, stupid. They had three, the three snaps leading up to that, including the one where he gets the touchdown. There's two blatant holding ones, and you were calling them, I know, Matt. I'd not seen them at the time, but they were so obvious there. That should have been two penalties, pushing them further back. They might only get a field goal out of that then. And yeah. as, it, it was blatant, though, wasn't it? And as for the onside kick, I don't know the rules. But in the era of technology that we're in right now, they're unforgivable, these things. Uh, and I think, you know, every week we're seeing some ridiculous calls. I, I know it's happened to us a number of times against the Packers as well. But it's just infuriating that, you know, so much hinges on some of these calls that they're so big to keep getting them wrong. Um, you know, and, and these things that certainly need to be looked at and rectified. That's it. It's it's no good just getting an apology every week, is it? It's they just say, oh yeah, we got it wrong. But everyone was calling it. It, it. it says everything when and 
the players' reaction as well, saying that they heard the rest saying it as well is one. But that onside kick was dodgy as well. I'm not up on my rules with onside kicks, so I'm not too sure how they work. But it goes 10 yards. Yes, it breaks the plane to go out, but it never hits the ground. And you can catch a pass that's gone over and bring it back in. There's no problems with that. And his foot's not touching the line either. So to me, that's completed. And I don't get how they can call it on us. That, unless it's something I don't know about. As I say, I don't know the rules. But to me, that satisfies all the criteria for a successful onside kick. I don't know. Does anyone know better? No. Um, what I want to jump in here and say, though, is you know, I was in a discussion yesterday that had a similar retort in the Yes, Green Bay got penalised more, but referees are not only there to throw flags when something goes wrong. They're, they're, make, they're there to make decisions and appropriate decisions based on actions that happen within a game. In fact, this is one game where I hate to put it in terms of refs and you can play a game and keep the refs out of it. You can for the most part, but it's one of those sports where the referees are involved in every single thing. You can't, there are more, you know, you look at a sport like, uh, you know, look, you look at many sports, how many sports have that number of referees are literally that start and stop. And after every play, the referees come on do, and obviously the placing balls and moving, moving the sticks and whatnot. But, the referees are so involved in every single part of the game. And because it's so start-stop, they are able, in many ways, to have a much more hands-on approach to a game. They can make a, a bit more of a decision in it. So the Lions were... In terms of our flags, we were 24th in the league for flags against us. We only had... Four for a total of 30 yards, three on offense for 25 yards, one on defense for five yards. The Packers had 12 overall for 68 yards. They had uh, eight on their defense for 38 yards and four on their offense for 30. So on average, both offenses were getting penalized in terms of yardage more than defenses. But... You know, if you're getting penalised eight times for 38 yards on defence, that's not even five yards a penalty. So, realistically, they're not making big calls against the Packers. They're making small calls that are realistically never really going to put us in a lot better of a position. They're giving us five yards, maybe for a holding, maybe for an offside or something. But it's not game-changing. The decisions that were made that when in many senses, went for the Packers that were big decisions. The decision not to call Jones Jr.'s catch a catch at the one-yard line. I think by the point of... I know as it happened, a few of us, to, uh, we were in the chat, uh, in the sorry, in the Zoom call going, I think me and Anthony both thought it was a touchdown. Then you, Matt, were, were a bit more... I know it's not a touchdown, but it's a catch it is a catch and then we threw the challenge flag out I think most of us kind of agreed that it was a good challenge because we're at least getting the ball at the one we watched it numerous times we all agreed it was a catch he had both feet on the floor 
the ball was comfortably in both hands. He got a third left foot down because there was argument over whether, as he caught the ball, there were two feet actually on the floor or not. I'm not going to get into what I saw on the picture. His foot was on the freaking floor. Um, and he got that foot down once more just before it went <clears> out. That's a catch all day long. But there is also one big one that you missed. And it was the Quintus Cephas and Adrian Amos in the end zone pass interference. Where as they're going for it, it's probably too, it's probably a slightly overthrown ball. But Amos completely cuts in front of Cephas and holds him off. That's yeah. a PI all day. That's not just a PI. That's a PI at the one yard line. The was that lab- to end the half? Was that to end the second, uh, first half? I think. Yeah, it was. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's you, you put something like that. You're at the one yard line with one second to play, and that we're untimed play. Um, Be an interesting one whether you go for that or not. But yeah. But you know, it, it's. The point is, we should have that option to go for it or not in that position. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. It shouldn't be a... You know, I don't care what we do at that point. The point is, it's gone in our favour. Yeah. And if it's a PI, so it's being placed at the spot of the foul, it's, you know... So, there's just... this calls like that, and I think that's where Lions fans are coming at. And at the end of the day, let's face it, the refs are not there just to call penalties. They are there... To um, they're there to make appropriate decisions, especially in 50-50s, especially in not sure ones. And if the referees aren't sure, that's why you have um, that's why you have the the room in New York. That's why um, there's a reason why they get people like Dean Blandino on these broadcasts to talk about it, to tell you what they're talking about in. It. And it's just a bit unfortunate that. Um, you know, the the referees, I kind of get it, but they are so well protected from any slander um, that unfortunately players cannot air the grievances about it um, and they should they should be able to. But, you know, I don't want to... A bit late now in it, but I don't want to get too much in on the ref stuff. Yes, there were big decisions that went against us that shouldn't have gone against us, not just penalties, but big decisions. And that is where I think the Lions fans are most angry. I think we'd be all right if it felt like it, they were 50-50. You know, some went for us, some went against us. The obvious ones get called but it, it, in, in both ways, but it just feels like some of the big game-changing ones, we just don't get them. That's yeah, it. it's, it's the momentum kill of them. They, they completely killed our momentum dead. And, you know, we've got three more minutes on the clock if that... Marvin Jones catch is given because we're not wasting our and we've got our quarterback healthy as well it's yeah so yeah it just, it just makes you mad I think I, I want to pick up on a couple of things first I just snipped a picture of the onside kick to the guys I don't know whether they've seen it but the ball clearly touches the line before it's it's got it's received by uh, Reeves maybe in on the sideline so I think that's why it didn't count if that ball's up on its side and it's in the green. I believe it would stand as a as a recovered onside kick, but it's just it just touched a line beforehand. But you know, that's by the by. Uh, the pass interference call you mentioned that I did forget uh, was mentioned on the the Detroit Lions podcast. I think it was, and they were talking about that 
much like the penalty area in soccer, where a foul is a foul outside of the area, but perhaps not a foul inside the area, is kind of like what it's like on a Hail Mary situation. Now, the Cephas PI call was a Hail Mary situation at the end of a half, and they were kind of not that bothered, well, not that they weren't bothered, but they understood why it wasn't called, because if that was a normal pass for 50 yards, not at the end of a half, you might call it, but because it is, then you don't. But as someone who's only followed the league for the last 12 years, I don't get it. If it's PI, it's PI. Like, maybe it has to be a bit more severe at that time, and I kind of get it, but it was. It was severe, and so you do call it. I mean, it denies a touchdown scoring opportunity, if you want to put it that way. And and you mentioned the holding calls. I, I was just going mad for it. They're, they're, they were getting away with so much holding. And if there's one thing you hear about David Bakhtiari, the left tackle, is that he's the best tackle in the left tackle in the league and also the best left tackle at getting away with holding his opponent. And I think the two are probably linked because he does it very, very skillfully. And that's part of being a good O-lineman. But oh, it's just so frustrating because I can see it on the broadcast. So can everyone else. So call it better. And I know there's this emphasis this year of we're not going to call as many offensive holding penalties. It's like, I know you don't want the game to be stopped up, but if, if you tell them you're not going to call it as often, they're going to do it more. You're ruining the game. That's the thing. They've had eight, eight penalties against them on defense. And it's, it was a common theme throughout the game. There was a lot of these little nitty-gritty holes they were trying to get away with, which, which they didn't. And It's just drive killers. You're taking back five yards. Aaron Rodgers isn't running that in from there. And it's just these three points here, seven points there, that, that just make ultimately the little differences in the game. And like you say, the, the pass interference one is odd. It, in my case, it might just be because I've not been around the league long enough to know about this. But for me, I didn't actually notice it to start with. But when you look back, Amos has got his hand like literally lodged in Cephas's, so he's stopping him from extending his arms. So surely he's got he's stopping him from at least attempting to grab it. That's got to be interference in any definition of the word. I don't see how it can be soft. If you're stopping him from trying to get the ball, that's interfering. So I don't know. It's... Ultimately, it's yeah. Ultimately, it's not what's cost us a game, but it's played a very big part. We we would have had a very big, we would have a much better chance at winning this game because it's one thing overall. It saves us so much time. So, but anyhow, it's, yeah. I'll move on because it's just getting me frazzled now. I'm yeah, no, well, it's not with Green Bay refs. Let's move on to maybe all picking perhaps one aspect of the game where we feel like the Lions lost the game and a player of the game. I feel like because we lost, maybe we should just pick one, whether it's offensive or defensive, unless anyone objects. So a key takeaway and a player of the game. Let's go for Ant first. Um, key takeaway. Well, I'm not going to go back to the Jones pass. For me, maybe key takeaway is their first touchdown. I mean, obviously, we had a good start to the game, put some points on. But that pass, Oruwarie gets turned inside out and then Harmon's caught flat-footed. You can't do that against someone like Devontae Adams, these elite guys. You've got to be a lot better than you have there. And that just set the tone for them, really. It, it was just far too easy to move the ball. We were no good in pass coverage and we got burned. So, for me, that, that's where I thought, yeah, 
we're in for a long day here and we're going to struggle if playing like that. As far as a player of the game goes, um, ugh, it's a bit like, you know what, I'm going to go with Taylor Decker. He didn't allow bugger all down his left tackle side. He's, he's just been amazing this year and he's been completely worth his deal and he's made me eat my words about him a hundred times. He's He's going to be so vital to this team going forwards. And once again, against a very good Green Bay rushing attack, he was he was flawless. So Taylor Decker gets it today. How about you, Aaron? Um, ooh, it's a really good question. Uh, I'm going to go a bit left field with this one. Right. My key takeaway is I didn't realise at all that Danny Amendola was our best receiver. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like looking back, I look like when you gave out them stats, I didn't check the box scores. Um, not on ESPN, not on NFL or anything like that. I just didn't. I didn't have the time to over the last couple of days. But. It sounds really tough, but look, looking back at it now, we kind of go, oh, yeah. But he just kind of, he seemed like he just got on with it. It wasn't like a TJ where there were things happening around him or anything like that. He just got the ball. That was it. He did what he did. Carry on. Give him uh, give him pat on the back. Move on. Um, and it sounds daft, but like that's my takeaway is the fact that there was someone there producing that I just didn't realise were, I didn't actually think even at the time, oh, he's producing, he's doing really well. Um, so so, so I'm, I'm taking that as a bit of a takeaway. Um, in terms of ooh, player of the game, ooh, I thought Daryl Roberts and Jaron Curse were all right. Um, nothing special, but I am going to go with... Team Hicks's dad? <laughs> Not this week. Um, I'm going to go with... Oh, shit. It's a, it's a tough one. Because I th- yeah, I've not heard of this guy. I can't <laughs> think of someone who was great or really stood out at all, um, at least for actually, you know... Very good reasons. I'm going to go with Amendola just for the fact that he was producing and I wasn't 100%, even though I wasn't 100% clocked onto it. You know, he, he did some good things during the game. Now yeah. I'll look back on it. Fair enough. Martin, key takeaway and player of the game? Uh, key, to, key to the defeat was, um, you know, the pass rush is, is pretty much non-existent. Um, I think we've, we've chewed that one to death um, in terms of, you know, that, that's not changed all, all year, to be honest. Um, player of the game is a tough one because I think there wasn't a real standout, but then, you know, I'd have to go with Matt Stafford. I think he had a, a strong game. You know, you look at his stats again, he's up against, you know, like I mentioned before, a top five team. I think he, he was a standout player again. And um, let's just hope he stays around for next year as well. Yeah, yeah. So for me, key takeaway, uh, it was that the Lions gave up 
in the one aspect instead where we said they need to succeed in order to win the game. Now, I thought it was a well-coached game for what it was, but if the running game's where you're going to succeed, you've got to stick with it. You can't just give it up. I heard on several other Lions podcasts, oh, they saw it was becoming a shootout, so they didn't waste their time with the running game, and they went with what should work in terms of actually embracing the shootout and going for it. Well, you know what? It didn't turn out that way. For the first half, it looked like it did. And then Green Bay came out with a nine-minute drive and an eight-minute drive. And you know what? Running the ball actually does help you do that. It keeps your defense off the field. And sometimes you need to impose your will on the game and not let the flow of the game take you with it. So the running game wasn't succeeding particularly well, but they abandoned it completely. In a game where Swift looked like he was still a bit shifty, he didn't look like he was suffering the effects of his illness. He did have a a rushing touchdown, but they just completely abandoned it. And at the end of the day, I think that's cause of defeat. In terms of player of the game, I'm with Martin. It's, it's definitely Stafford, and I don't think you can look past him. He had a terrific game. He outplayed his opponent in terms of what he was given. And I just hope that he's back for the rest of the season and back next year. Aaron, you want us to come in? Yeah, I just want to make a quick comment on that pass rush and just say, believe it or not, I've been looking at next-gen stats. Uh, and yeah, like it is, it's, it's completely backed up every week. Normally, Romeo Aquara, maybe Everson Griffin, recently jumps up. You know, they're, they're getting good separation. Uh, they're getting close to the quarterback. Yeah, not this week, but surprisingly, neither was uh, apart from Sedarius Smith. Neither was the uh, the Packers. So I think our old line was holding up well. Just our, our, our pass rush was just not not great. Um, Christian Jones was actually closest to the quarterback throughout the whole game. Real, Romeo Aquara, you know, not 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 close at all. I have it, to disagree. I think I think the right side, the right hand side of that old line struggled. Abushi wasn't great again, and Nelson had his troubles. I know Nelson gave up a sack in coverage because yeah. he couldn't keep his man out and I think that's where a lot of their sacks came through we we missed Crosby and I, I, I talked about us missing Griffin really badly but I think Crosby has shown just how much he's grown this year there is a big gaping hole without him at that right tackle as well and uh, I hope we get him back really quickly because that right hand side ain't standing up and we need to address that right guard issue hopefully Stenberg's going to be ready soon enough but yeah um Oh, I I agreed totally on Abushi. He's a penalty machine. Um, and was it? I can't remember which sack it was, but I remember turning around to you guys and just saying, as Stafford gets hit, Abushi slipped, but gets back up. Doesn't like well. You know, if you're playing a game like that, if you're protecting the quarterback and you're, you know, you're trying to stop someone from getting the quarterback, if you slip and lose your man, where's he going to be? Behind you, at the quarterback. Abusha just kind of gets up and looks around, wondering where the hell has he gone? It's odd. Where's Dahl at? It was like Dahl a, injured? It was like a pantomime, because I'm, I, 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 I'm sat there looking, thinking, he's behind you. Like, he just gets up and looks around, doesn't make any attempt. And I know I have, I, you know, the, the, this is something I, you know, I had to go at Tavai for, for being, feeling like he was being lazy or indecisive. 
Uh, sorry, not lazy, sorry, just indecisive and not moving. This was just lazy. This yeah. was just, he gave up so easily and didn't, he didn't put it up. And for what has been, and I, I do think, obviously, um, I completely agree with um, with the fact that Abushi was awful, absolutely awful. But the rest of the old line, you know, Ragnar again was good. Decker, very good. It's just that, that, that area of our row line has yeah. been a bit of just a weak spot all year. Just on your Joe Dahl question, and he played full snaps on special teams, but otherwise did not play. So clearly Abushi is beating him out in, in training, which is odd. Odd, yeah. Joe Dahl should be in that starting lineup. I, I don't even care if Abushi is playing better than him in training. Abushi gives up penalties and he has the odd bad play. Whereas even if Dahl isn't as good on his best snap, he's much better than him on his worst. And that's what O-line is all about. It's not only about dominating your opposition, it's making sure you don't make mistakes because mistakes kill drives. I think, I mean, especially at this point where we're in this season now, I'd be putting Logan Stenberg in there. They've they've hit on most of their draft picks this year. So let's give him a go. Let's see what he's made of. He's he's aggressive. And by all accounts, he's, he's, he's pretty good. So... What have yeah. we got to lose? We know Abushi gives away a lot of penalties. We know Abushi gives away big plays. He is simply a rotational guy who's good for the odd few snaps. He should be doing what Dahl's doing, but he shouldn't be in there as a starter. No way. Yeah, I completely agree. I'll be putting in Stenberg now for these last three games just because I think we have a 1% chance of the playoffs now. If we win all of our games, go 8-8, eight and, eight and, and Arizona only manage 8-8. Eight and eight. But let's face it, we're a lot more... well. Our most likely scenario now is we lose the last three. I just can't see us winning one. So let's embrace it and let's play some of our young guys. Anyway, I'm going to move it on to the next part of our discussion. So that was a review of Packers at Lions. Going to run down a bit more news regarding specifically the head coach in the GM search. So it was announced in the last hour that Chris Spielman has left Fox and he's joined the Lions organization as a special assistant to the chairman and president and CEO of the Lions. He will be present on all of the interviews for GM and the head coach. The Lions also followed this up with the news that Barry Sanders, Mark Hollis and Rod Graves will also serve as advisors during this process, although none of them will be present in the interview process. Um, I'm sure that Lions fans are going to be really, really pleased that two Lions legends are going to be in there, especially as because some fans were suggesting Chris Spielman as a potential GM candidate. So the fact that he's going to be in on the decision of hiring one is potentially even better. If you've never heard of Mark Collis and Rod Graves before, if you're heathens who have no idea who they are like like me, I've done my research. And Rod Graves, he's a former um, employee of the NFL. He spent 37 years involved in some capacity, including being uh, the senior vice president of football administration at the NFL and also the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals. And Mark Hollis, uh, he was for 23 years either the associate director or director of athletics at MSU. Um, And then he has been most recently the VP of business development at Rock Ventures LLC. They work with um, one of the Lions Premier sponsors, Quicken Loans, uh, liaising with their investments and other companies involved with them. So not only has he got links to to the state of Michigan and Detroit, but also has links with our sponsors. So uh, I, I think they're obvious moves in terms of the two 
guys that we perhaps haven't heard of, but I'm sure the, the fans are going to be delighted at the news that yeah. two legends are involved. How are you guys feeling on it? It's absolutely the right move to make. I'll just stick my two pence worth in quickly on this. It's the same drum I've been banging on Twitter since I heard. Lions fans now need to start giving Sheila Ford respect and they need to stop hating on her because of her family name. Since she came since she took up the position overall, all the decisions she's making are the correct ones. Obviously, she came in over the summer. Patricia had his orders for this season and people after a few games were whinging and crying that he was still in the spot, that she accepts failure, etc. No, she gave them an objective. And the second that Matt Patricia failed to gain that objective, she fired his ass. You know, it's not acceptable. She made absolutely the right call. Then when the news came out that we might not be using a hiring agency, everyone's, oh no, it's going to be Rob Wood who's doing it. They've no idea what they're doing. Wait and see what she's going to do. She's now bought, you know, we've waited a little while and she's bought in Spielman, who, like you said, has GM qualities there. She's bought in Barry Sanders. She's bought in people who care about the Lions. And this was a huge thing about the agency business. When you employ an agency, they're working for your rivals as well. They're not working in your best interest all the time necessarily. By bringing in guys who are Detroit Lions through and through, who know the fans, who want what's best for this franchise, you're putting together a footballing committee who can make a footballing choice over the GMs and the head coaches, which is absolutely the right thing that you need to be doing. And I think she's got it spot on. And I think going forward, they need to start giving her some more respect. And I'm quite excited now because we've got guys on there who are going to do what's best for this franchise. So... You know, it's a star star for these for me. I love it. How about you, Aaron? You on the same page? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Chris Spielman has, if uh, you know, it, it, even looking in our Twitter group, uh, in our Twitter group chat on WhatsApp, um, you look at Taib's reaction. Who, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to give him a little shout out because he's is a. Uh, a brilliant member of our group, but you know, he said it, it, he had tears in his eyes at the thought of it. I know that there was, um, I'm not going to go discussing too much of his business, but there was a personal reason why he was very excited by this. You know, a, a family member, um, obviously had, uh, absolutely loved Spielman and he was a great linebacker. Absolutely great linebacker, adored by fans. um, you know, it, it means a lot. Someone like Chris Spielman, who was, you know, again, he's someone that I, I know of his talents as a linebacker. But because of where we are, I've not had much chance to to hear him speak too much on TV. So I've listened to a few clips because he's a name that's been thrown about a lot in about four different positions in that back office. He's, you know, he, he clearly loves the Lions. So, you know, and then the one thing we've all called is if you've got to keep someone like Rod Wood, let him do the business stuff and get him get someone with knowledge of football to help him out with the football stuff. That's what they've done. It does make me laugh, though, when it's a uh, special assistant to the chairman. It makes me think of the office and Dwight. Uh, he's not a special <laughs> assistant chairman. He's special assistant to the chairman. Um, but... No, it's it's a great move. And then same with Barry and Mark and, and, and Rod. They're 
it, it, it's a great move. I said before, I, said, I, echoed, I echoed, yeah, Anthony echoed something similar to uh, something similar to what I said, obviously, before we got on. Ex-players, they know from experience what players want out of a GM, out of a head coach. They know what is needed. And I know since they played, the game's changed, but they are in and around players all the time. Barry Sanders has not really left the Lions. He's just stopped playing for us, unfortunately. I'd still love to see him have a go. Um, but, you know, he, he, he's around. They, they, these are people who love the Lions, but know how an organisation works from the bottom up. Being players, being rookies, being players, being legends, and then going off to work in a capacity, not on the field, but in another capacity within the organisation. They know what it's like. They understand what the players want and need. And at the end of the day, they're the people you need to be most on board and working at their highest level. It's the players because they're the ones who are going to officially win you trophies, uh, win you a Super Bowl, win you a division title. So they're going to know, you know, they're, they're going to be able to help and say, right, look, this guy is not going to get the players motivated. I can feel that for as an ex-player. You've got people with back office experience who, who can speak with that. And like Anthony said again, these people are employed for the Lions and the Lions only. We have people here who are trying to do what's best for the Lions. And even if they aren't part of that interviewing process, you know that you know, you're know you not getting a load of business people and people who know the sport as a from the business point of view to get in and come and do the job. You're getting people who love the sport as players to come in and do that job. And I think it's it's something that maybe, I don't know how many other teams have done it before, but it's a great idea. One that I can, I'm really behind because you're getting outsider information, essentially getting outsider information and outsider support from an angle that you are probably not looking at or not looking at in great depth when you are doing those sort of things anyway. Of people who love the, love the organization, love the team, love the fan base. So I, you know, we're, we're, the, the decision will be the decision whether it's the right one or the wrong one only time will tell but the fact that they are making this happen they are doing things slightly differently makes me very very happy yeah so for me i'm very excited about spielman he is the one that i think is going to be key especially since he's left his job with fox uh when i initially saw the headline i thought okay temporary help that's fine but he thanked his colleagues at fox for all the help he's had over the years um and he's with us full time. And I think that's going to be a terrific addition to the backroom team, um, no matter what happens with head coach and GM. So, so that one I'm really excited about. The other three, I think they're going to add intelligence. They're going to add a voice that's going to have gravitas and they're going to know what they're talking about. But I'm not sure it's going to make too much of an impact on what's going on. I think Spielman's going to be the one that's going to have a big impact on what's going on. But what I think it does, I think it does two things. And the first thing I think it does is the Lions owners over the years have not had the greatest of um, reputation with the fan base, shall we say. And I think one of the things that Sheila has realized is that they need to repair their relationship with the fans. And I think she's doing that by one, looking competent by doing these things, but two, 
by ingratiating the fans with having players that they respect being involved in part of the process. Whether it makes a difference or not in terms of actually mechanically what's happening, fans are going to buy into the process because what they see they like. And I think that's a big part of it. But the second thing I think it's going to do is I think it's going to make the job two more things, sorry. I think it's going to make the job more attractive to candidates. If they see people they respect being involved in part of the process, they're going to think perhaps the organisation is turning a corner in terms of how it's run, number one. I also think that players are going to have a look at this. I think, well, if Barry's going to be involved in the hire, if Chris is going to be involved in the hire, these likeable guys, media personalities, as well as former players, maybe I'll go and play for the Lions. I didn't consider them before, but maybe I will now. So I think not only does it make it more attractive for staff, it might make it more attractive for players. So even if it doesn't change anything mechanically, I'm really happy with everything that they've done so far. But also, um, I think, you, you, yeah, but you've also got the fans' perspective. And I think the fact that they've looked in that position and said, um, you know, that they respect where they are as an organisation and as Sheila and Rodwood, with the knowledge that they have and don't have. You know, each three of those people, apart from obviously Chris Bielman, slightly different example with us full time, but you look at the part of the people who are just coming in and assisting with us. Yes, we've got someone from the NFL. But all three of them have very different outlooks. One is a businessman. One is, you know, he's got a career in, in, in that office, in player personnel, and that works for the NFL in play, basically player personnel. One was a player. They've gone, and, and what I believe they I believe they've done right is they've gone with the three like the like the three prongs. Then you've also got Spielman, who's obviously got player experience, back office experience, and analyst analytic experience. They respect, you know, she she was talking about not hiding and res- not hiding from our past. Well, what better part of our past have we got right now than Barry Sanders? Um, so you know, you, you're getting people like that in for as a as fans to see you respecting the role and take putting that sort of due diligence into it. I know that you will always get fans and people who disagree with what happens. It's just the way things work. Not everybody will be happy with it, but you will find a lot more fans are going to be a lot more content. So not just players who would be willing to come to Detroit a bit more, maybe not just GMs, head coaches, uh, staff who would be willing to come over. You are you're sending a message of confidence in your fans, and I, I believe a level of competence as well. Admitting where you are, not not admitting where you are, not maybe as knowledgeable, and admitting where your faults are and flaws are, makes you seem more human. But also at the same time, getting people into correct that just shows that you have a way of knowledge. Uh, you, you you have that self awareness, but also that willingness to adapt and grow and I think that's going to go like I said, God, it's going to go down well with fans as well yeah yeah I completely agree I'm going to just gloss over the next couple of articles quickly so the Detroit Free Press have a piece talking about the search for the new GM and head coach uh, it specifically refers to an internal memo that Sheila sent out and it said the staffing change brings lots of work with it which Rod and I 
and our advisors take very seriously. We are already deeply into researching top candidates for head coach and GM, and as the recent internal memo stated, have already interviewed several in-house candidates for the GM job. This process will play out over the next six weeks or so, with the result being a well-vetted and proven head coach slash GM team that can finally take the lines where we also earnestly want to go to the top. Now, the article goes on to state that they don't actually necessarily mean that they're going to have well-vetted and proven head coach GM people come in specifically in terms of them being experienced at that role, but that they will be what they believe to be competent, but they want someone to be experienced in one of the roles as a minimum, just to lend some, uh, I've already said experience, experience again, um, in the whole system. So Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn had never done the job before and, and it shows maybe a little bit when we look back on it. So having one of them in there being experienced might actually help. I have heard some outcry on Twitter about the fact that Sheila appears to have put a timeline on the whole process and really we should just be focusing on getting it right no matter how long it takes, which I think is naive. If you have a look at a six-week timeline, that takes you up until Shock Horror Super Bowl. So all you're saying is we're not going to make any announcements about who we're going to hire until after the season is finished, which is when we can hire the people who've gone to the Super Bowl. You know, that's not mad. Now, if the person we actually want at the end becomes available because his team's no longer in the playoffs, thinking specifically Robert Salah, then, you know, maybe we go a bit earlier, but that remains to be seen. Uh, there's also a good piece on The Athletic talking about GM candidates. So... Uh, this talks about the fact that we are going to be having an interview possibly next week with the former Texans general manager, Rick Smith. He um, did step away from the game while his wife was dealing with cancer three years ago. She then eventually sadly died last year and he's looking for a way to return to the game. The Texans obviously won four straight division titles while he was there um, and they built their roster quite nicely. We all know what happened after he left and, Bill O'Brien took the reins, that it all fell to pieces. So maybe that highlights the fact that he actually did do a good job there. Um, potentially, he hit on one of the major picks he had in Deshaun Watson. And we're all thinking, you know, that the whole tenure of his has been good because of that one pick. Um, but he's also had J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins. So, you know, he's had a good time of it. But the article also highlights another six people. Uh, sorry, another five people that we should be looking at. So in addition to Rick Smith, there's also Joe Horsis, the Ravens director of player personnel, Ed Dodds, the Colts assistant GM, Mike Borgazzoni, who we've mentioned before on this pod, the Chiefs director of football operations, and two players from the so two back office members from the Seattle Seahawks, Trent Kirchner and Scott Fitterer. Now, as we come to the end of the season, we're going to be having a bit more of a deep dive into some of these candidates. So stay tuned for that if you'd like to hear more on some of these guys. Any thoughts on um, the experienced proven team that they're looking for the timeline or the gm candidates that i've just mentioned boys yeah i again i agree i sort of agree with sheila for there i think and i agree with you i think it is a bit naive to criticize her for giving a timeline out and maybe people are saying it's short and whatnot but the thing is we need a huge internal change here at the lines so whoever comes in to do this job is going to have a lot of work to do and I think, you know, six weeks is enough time to be diligent, to get all your interviews done, to get all the information you need. But you want to give your guy who's coming in as much time as possible to be able to sort out 
the issues that you know so many issues that badly need dealing with so i agree i i, I think it's a good thing that they're that they've been careful but they're looking to move quicker as well in terms of the proven in gm and head coach roles i agree i think certainly one of them needs to be in you know needs to have done the job before really um if i was to rank which one was maybe the more vital i'd say i'd want more of a proven GM again because I think the franchise in general is the one that needs a lot of work doing to it. So a guy who's got experience in that, turning franchises around, you know, improving the culture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think if you're going to prioritise them, that's where I'd go, and um, maybe go with a less experienced head coach. But I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to your evaluation skills. You know, you've just got to get as much knowledge in the room as possible interview the guys and then just really thoroughly do your due diligence on them and decide who's best for what you want so if it ends up being two inexperienced guys two experienced guys one of each it doesn't matter as long as they're best for the lines going forward as long as they you know do the homework i don't mind how about you aaron how are you feeling on that as you can tell martin's gone can't you um because we're all everyone on the pod's agreeing now um, I I I can't disagree. I really can. Um, where to start though? Uh, yeah, in terms of what? Yeah, I'll, I'll start from the beginning. The the timeline. I'm not reading much into that. Six weeks or so. Um, everybody knows that that doesn't mean this is going to be 42 days from today. That doesn't mean that at all. Six weeks or so. It might take a little bit less. Might take a little bit longer. Give or take. But at the end of the day, like you said, anybody that we want or anybody that is on our list can't be interviewed. At le- if you take on seven weeks, every single person can be interviewed at least once. So, you know, you talk about uh, the, the, you talk about setting a timeline. At the end of the day, that's not rushing it. Rushing it would be before the season's over. We've got someone else because we've done a couple of interviews and thought oh, do you know what no we'll, we'll make it happen actually no the fact that it's going to take what <sighs> two weeks ago going to be like say six weeks that's two months two and a half months without a GM without a head coach that they're going to be searching interviewing everything chances are um, I believe that if once they've got all the interviews out the way they'll probably sit there for a, a little while or if there's a got a few days in between a couple of the interviews then they've got you know time to sit back look at where they're at evaluate everything and then say right you know still top of the list right now is x and tomorrow we're interviewing n you know it's you you know you can kind of still keep track of where you're at where you want to be if you've got a couple of days in between so you can have that time to evaluate it's not gonna it's not gonna you know, if you're giving yourself two months, two and a half months to sign a head coach or GM at the end of the season, that's just not that difficult. Um, well, in terms of the, the the actual doing your due diligence around it, um, with again with regards to proven head coach GM, I had this debate before. Proven, uh, well vetted and proven means well vetted and proven. You, yes, proven in. Uh, in their specific role would be nice but and I don't even think it's just one of the jobs that it entails I think it's going to be a couple 
um, or at least shown and proven that the knowledge that you believe they need to have, they have shown, even if it's in transferable skills. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna throw it out. I'm just gonna throw the name Lewis Riddick out there. I know that it's a hot name right now. I'm not saying whether he would or wouldn't be the guy. Say you're Sheila Ford, you're Chris Spielman, you're Rod Wood. Uh, there must be a lot going on in your head if if you're all three, but also. You know, you, you're looking at someone like Lewis Riddick, you've written down all the things you believe a GM needs to know, needs to have, and an analysis and a, and, and a look out, and an outlook on things that they need to have. Say you're going out there listening to Lewis Riddick. You, you're listening to Lewis Riddick talk on ESPN, and then you're getting him in an interview. If he ticks all of those boxes, he's everything you want him to be or want a GM to be. Why would you not? Uh, it's as long as you are proven to be able to take on those tasks that will be put and set in front of you, as long as you're able to to manage that team, to keep the ship steady whilst, um, you know, it's so, so well vetted and proven. And I think that's why the word well vetted was in there first, not just, Oh, we're going to get a proven. They're going to, you know, they're going to cast a tight net, with um, you know, I'll, I'll run everyone through a sieve, and then literally you have to fit perfectly within that for you to you know you know to get through, um, and and arrive into a position where you could be one of the uh, people taking the role. I'm very excited as well, by the way, though at um, at Rick Smith. I had again a debate, not a debate before. Sorry, I had someone who turned around and made a stupid conversation and said, "Yeah, well, he's not even been in football for two uh, for three years. Why would we want somebody who can't even get a job? Like seriously, go and have a look at why he stopped." If yeah. it, it, someone it's like ignorant. him, he I, again, I'm not going to jump on the whole kind of. I'm saying this will be the person, but let's face it, Rob Seller is the the top candidate at the moment off pe- on people's lips. They were at Houston together for four years. They know each other. When Rob Sala was the defensive, um, the defensive quality control and the assistant linebackers coach between 2006-2009, they know each other. Uh, he's done a very good job in the position that he's in I believe in a place like the Lions he could do a similar job or if he's given different tools to work with but he'd do a similar and a good job at it um, the only reason that the Texans have been bad this year I don't even think Bill, Bill O'Brien's a bad coach he just taking on the head coach in GM was too much for him to do and it, it, it is what it is so you know, we'll, we'll we'll see, but I, I like the thought of giving Rick Smith an interview. If he was to pass it, I would be, you know, I'd be very happy, not just for the Lions, but I'd be happy for him as well. I'd, I'd be, yeah, I'd, I'd be delighted if we get him in. If you have a look at what the Texans did, going from a complete no hope organization to one that had eternal hope of being in the mix, I think that'd be a very solid hire. Um, Boys, I think we're we're almost at the end of this one. Any more comments before we wrap up? No, I think we're about done for this week. All right. 
So, our next podcast will be on Friday, December 18th. It's the Lions at the Titans preview podcast. Uh, don't forget to watch along with us on Sunday. It's the Royal Lions Zoom party for week 15, 5.30 UK time, 12.30 Eastern time in the States. Don't forget our socials as well. On Facebook, we are Detroit Lions Fans UK, one pride worldwide. On Twitter, we are ROTL underscore UK. And on Instagram, ROTL.UK. On the web, RoarTheLionsUK.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Rate us five stars where you can. If you can't, let us know why. And we will do our utmost to change your mind. Just remains for me to thank my co-hosts, the now-departed Martin Birrell, Anthony Fitzpatrick, and Aaron Fletcher. He hasn't died. He's just left. I know, but it sounds like <laughs> it. he has now departed. <laughs> Anthony is still alive. For those of you wanting to go check, I'll confirm it. He is still alive. He's just left the Zoom. Who's still alive? <laughs> Martin Birrell. <laughs> I swear he just said Anthony. Anthony, he, he's still alive as well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right, I anyway, so. I'm Matthew Turner, and we'll see you on Friday. Let's go, Lions. One pride. One pride. One pride. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.